Welcome to Alert and Oriented, conversations about God between friends. Join Gary Barkalow and Sam Williamson as we talk about real life with the real God, really. Hi, everyone. Hey, we are back for another Campfire Conversation, and we are about to start a new series. We want to talk about counterfeit answers that the world gives us to very important questions, actually, and questions that God addresses in his scriptures. But we want to talk about this because we just see how how much those answers can influence what we believe, how we act. And in fact, as you probably know, we've talked about this, Sam is working on his next book that really addresses this in detail, but we thought we'd start hitting some of these subjects. And l- let me just start with a few quotes that you may have heard, or at least the, the quoter, the one being quoted, you've heard of these people. And so it's, they're very famous kind of common thoughts about life. One is by, I'll just do a few of them, William James. He's a famous psychologist and philosopher, kind of the one of the first ones that brought this whole field of the study of psychology into the, the academic world. And he said, believe that life is worth living and your belief will help create the fact. Now, let me give you another one, Thomas Jefferson. Our greatest happiness does not depend on the condition of life, in which chance has placed us, but always the result of a good conscience, good health and occupation and freedom in all just pursuits. Sounds pretty good. Here's another one. Last one. Another famous person, Oprah Winfrey. The biggest adventure you can take is to live the life of your dreams. And, and with those, some of those things, you know, that you kind of hear them, you go, well, you, you know, there's some truth, there's some good in that. But, and Sam's going to tackle this in a second. But if you listen carefully, what you realize is God is completely absent in, in the view of life, what makes life work significant, what makes our life work, what gives us meaning. And that's what we're going to address through this series over time. So why don't you jump in, Sam, on the same thought of our series? Yeah, so so the we're calling this exposing counterfeit answers, and and we all know that for the history of humanity, but certainly all the people we know have experiences in life. There's some suffering that's going on. They're laid off from a job. Um, we we just have questions about life. Who am I? Why am I here? What should I do? Why did that event happen to me? We're filled with questions. Our our suffering gives us questions, but just life gives us questions, and there's never a shortage of answers, you know, to the answers to, to those questions. And what we find is the world likes to give answers that will sound good, but they're devoid of God. It's not that it's not that the answers are necessarily atheistic. It's just, they just don't need God. And I was just listening to a podcast where Tim Keller was interviewed. Tim Keller has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. It, it sounds like he has a few years. It's not like a long future. The interviewer asked him, what is he doing in these last few years? He said he prayed. He felt like God said two things. One is focus his life a little bit more. I think he's pretty focused, honestly, compared to me. But he feels like God wants him to focus more on the key things he should do. But then secondly, he said, I feel God calling me to grow in sanctification. 
And I thought, yeah, you know, grow in holiness. But then he went on. He says, now, I don't mean by sanctification holiness. I mean by sanctification depending on God more. And I thought, you know, isn't that right? I mean, so many of our life's answers aren't anti-God, but they don't depend on God. You know, it's like they happen whether God is in the answer is in the answer or not. What was your first quote, uh, Gary? I can't remember that one. Oh, the first quote I gave, that was by the uh, psychologist philosopher, William William James. James. Want me to read it or you got it? Yeah, read it again. Okay, so he said, believe that life is worth living and your belief will help create the fact. See, now he he doesn't say believe God is there. He just said, believe it and it'll happen. It doesn't sound bad. It sounds like it has faith, you know, power of positive thinking. I don't know. But God is absent in that. And what we want to talk about in this series is a whole set of, of, of answers the world is giving that sort of sound good by themselves, but aren't, but are God-less. They're really like agnostic. And the first topic we want to talk about today is the answer the world gives um, called self-esteem. And self the idea of self-esteem has been rampant through the Western civilization, probably for the last 50 or 60 years, that wasn't, it hasn't been there that long. You know, like if, you know, when um, Muhammad Ali in the 60s said, I am the greatest, everybody cheered and loved it. But nobody in the 1860s would have said, I am the greatest. They might've thought it, you know, I mean, you know, we all have these inner fleshly moments where we think it, but, 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 but society, everybody valued humility as a Christian virtue, you wouldn't walk around saying, I am the greatest, just because it sounded boastful, arrogant, self-centered. But but in the current world, self-esteem is the solution to all kinds of problems. Um, you know, Sam, and, and as you say that, I think, gosh, it just seems like that is so infiltrated the church. I know that many churches do not want to talk about sin. They don't want to talk about the need for repentance, confession, um, really looking, evaluating, assessing your life according to how God wants us to live it, who the people we're supposed to be. I, I, I remember, you know, for the early years of, of our marriage, our family, we lived in Southern California, right near the Crystal Cathedral. And Robert Schuler, that was his whole deal. I mean, every service was about feeling really good about yourself because God feels really good about you. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, yeah, it's so infiltrated the church, hasn't it? Well, it's funny that you say that because I was talking to a friend who's an elder in his church. And just before Lent, they, the elders were trying to say, well, you know, what will our emphasis be on Lent? And, and my friend felt like a good emphasis was to be some kind of time of repentance, you know, Examining your soul, repenting to God, which is the traditional, you know, practice during Lent. And three of the elders said, let's not talk about repentance. That just makes people feel bad. You know? <laughs> I, I actually feel better when I repent, honestly. I don't know where they were coming from. But sort of even the idea of just, well, you know, if I admit my sins, my life is going to go downhill or something. It's just so counter biblical, you know. The, the the history of Christianity, the, the history of spirituality has mostly been about self-image. You know, that's one of the ways you can look at salvation. So Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 says, here's what your purpose is. You're made in the image of God. I mean, this is a great 
high, dignified calling. Satan says, eat this apple, this fruit, and you will be like God. It was about image. It was about image, self-image, but it's self-image without God. You know, to, to, to reflect God, to be his image means I need a God. But to be like God, I can do it on my own. Or the Tower of Babel, what did they say? Let us make a name for ourselves. I don't want God's name. I don't want his image. I want to make a name for myself. Um, Gideon is applauded at the beginning for his humility. You know, he's hiding in the cave. And the angel says, hello, mighty man of war, you know, of courage or something. And Gideon's not that. But Gideon, and he's, and he's applauded for it, but later in his life, he names his son Abimelech, meaning I am the king. My dad, my daddy is the king. You know, he starts moving down towards, look at me. I am the greatest. It's just sort of a traditional pattern, I think, with spirituality is to move from being made in the image of God, which is rich, deep, life-giving, to grasping for it on our own without needing him, to you run know, from his hands. Yeah, that's fascinating, Sam. I've never thought about Going back to the garden, you know, I've seen, you know, this was rebellion, this was life without God, but I never thought about the idea that Satan was still, he was playing out the idea of ident identity, right, being like God, but offering a way to be like God without him. Um, that's fascinating. He was playing along the same lines, again, getting a truth that God had given to his creation and then distorting that truth, which is what we're going to touch on the entire series about the, the false answers that the world gives. And, you know, it just happens time and time again. King Saul is discovered hiding in the baggage, if you remember this, you know, early in First Samuel, because he's just he's humble. He's a little nervous. You know, who am I? Gosh, golly whiz, you know. Uh, and, and God says, I chose you because you were humble. And, and it's like first, first Samuel 16 or 17, I, I, you know, you thought little of yourself and that was great. And God rejects him when Saul builds a monument in his own honor. I mean, Muhammad Ali would be proud of him. Uh, you know, he's building a monument in his honor and God's saying, no, now you're being independent of me. You know, now you're, you're choosing self-esteem as opposed to God esteem. You know, Jim um, on the chat line brought up a really good point. He said, I, I wonder how much this idea of we can choose our own gender identity plays into this. And, and it certainly seems like it does. You know, if, if I can feel better as a different gender, then I have the right to choose that and to make me and, and for me to make you honor me as that so I can feel good about myself. What, what do you I, I think about that? Think that the modern world is choosing self-image. Now, remember, in the past, we received our image from God, and we received it from our family. You know, sometimes we didn't like that, but image was received. But now that God doesn't exist in people's worlds, you know, he's he's either exists but you know doesn't do anything. He's a Santa Claus, you know, or a Casper the Friendly Ghost, or else they disbelieve him. And so, yes, I would say there is a profound. Um, identity of, say, victimhood, progressive victimhood. So any kind of minority, sexual minority, gender minority, um, this is their identity. Or I have to say, some of the progressive Christians, we have an identity of sort of like a Christian nationalism, don't we? Don't we see some of that on the right? I mean, we're, we're, we're choosing our own identities instead of the identities that God wants for us. 
And whenever we choose our own identity, trouble follows. Trouble followed, you know, Adam and Eve. Trouble followed Saul. Trouble followed um, the uh, Babylon, not Babylon, Tower of Babel, which was uh, Babylon actually. But uh, so, so Sam, let me ask you. I know you, you know, you. We've talked about this. You're fascinated with history, the origins of thought, of belief. Um. You, you know, you took us back into biblical times. How about more contemporary and yet historic times of, you know, Western civilization with this idea? So I would say the self-esteem movement came out of psychology, more pop psychology. And it didn't come out of Freud, interestingly enough, who was very, you know, obviously he was sort of the father in a certain sense of modern psychology. But Freud was a melancholy guy. And he had this, <laughs> he has this great, um, treatise that he writes. And in it, he's saying low esteem is probably a good thing. He doesn't use the word low esteem, but he says, when some, when your patient is feeling very down about themselves, that they're incapable and they're unloving, he says, indeed, we must at once affirm their statement without reservation. He really is lacking in interest. He really is incapable of being loved. He really is incapable of achievement. He just has a keener eye for the truth than other people. <laughs> you know, you go, how would you like this to be your counselor? <laughs> and obviously, as, as Freudian psychoanalysis sort of went out of favor, a lot of other solutions came in. But, you know, a classic one is um, a kind of behavior. Um, oh, what do you call it? I just forgot the name. Modification. Of it. It's not exactly uh, behavior modification, but it's... Um, It'll come to me as soon as we're done. But okay. it's, it was popularized by a guy named David Burns. So David Burns wrote a book called uh, Feeling Good. Because, he, you know, this is what the modern world wants to do is we want to feel good. If we feel good, then I'll be happy. And he said that low, in his book, he says low self-esteem is what inflicts almost all the emotional damage we experience in our lives. Low self-esteem is what inflicts almost all the emotional damage that we experience in our lives. Now, he has no proof for that. That's just his assertion. And then his assertion as, as a psychologist or as people, our answer is claim self-esteem. Tell it yourself. Say, I am worthy. I can do this. And, and the problem, so this is where counterfeit solutions are counterfeit. Because they look like they're going to work. The truth is, people who are more confident get more jobs. You know, you go to your job interview and you're going like this, and you, I don't know. you're less likely to get the job. You look the interviewer in the eye, you answer assertively, you're, you're more likely to get the job. So the counterfeit answers always look successful because there is a period of success. You know, Psalm 115 says, about idols, they have eyes that do not see, ears that hear, do not hear, mouths that do not speak. They they give a hint of promise. They give a hint of something, and we believe it. But in the end, it doesn't work. There's no proof. It's just an assertion. That self assertion. That self esteem is what will make us happy. Yeah, you know, and as you say this, it's it's fascinating. You know, as 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 men and women get older, they can look back on what they've experienced of life. And they would just talk about, you know, there's a game that's being played out there. There, There's an agreement of how things work. And as long as we play into it, it works well, but we realize how false it is. And I think, right, when these ideas came up, 
And we, you know, we started thinking, well, if I look assertive, if I look successful, if I talk a certain way, I can make anything happen. And then people started saying, well, those are the people I'm going to hire. In other words, we kept, we kept building and validating the game. And it's just so funny how we get older and we go, you know, that was really shallow. There was nothing to that. And yet it does seem like, oh, we've talked about this idea that spiritual warfare is, is described by scripture, by the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's all three working together. Yes. And you can right. see the system at play and how easy it is for us to play into it because the world rewards that, right? It does. Although even the world, I think at some point has to acknowledge that sometimes their solutions don't work. So there's a secular woman counselor who's a um, research psychologist. And she wrote an article about 10 years ago called The Trouble with Self-Esteem. I think it might be a book, actually. And she says there is enough evidence from 20 years of studies to conclude that people with high self-esteem pose a greater threat to people around them than people with low self-esteem. And low self-esteem is not the source of any of our country's biggest problems. Now, you know, and that's what you think of. I mean, what, you know, when, when, when you think of the Pharisees in the gospels, you have the one Pharisees, this, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this, you know, this jerk tax collector and the tax collector hangs his head and says, I'm not worthy, father. I'm not worthy. And, And God applauds the humility on that one, as opposed to the Pharisee who's, the Pharisee had high self esteem. You know, I think that the 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 tax collector who came humbly received the blessing and and welcoming of the father so sam as you as you you know continue to talk about this false answer given of self-esteem um eventually i'd love you to kind of then steer us into well what is the answer for this thing in us that we can easily confuse self-esteem as the answer so I, I think the reason people with higher self-esteem seem to get the jobs, you know, self-esteem is not the only answer, but I think the reason people with high self-esteem get the jobs is they have more confidence. You know, if you really have, if you really believe you're the greatest, I think that probably gives you some confidence, right? You know, unless you just jury rigged it in yourself, then you're probably always doubting yourself. But it is true that some arrogant people have a lot of confidence. But God says there's other ways to have confidence. And God says his way to have confidence is better. And he says this, I would say, hundreds of times throughout scripture. But, you know, one of the famous ways is that uh, in Deuteronomy 7, this is where Moses is giving his like goodbye sermon to Israel before they enter the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 7, Moses quotes God saying, I did not choose you, Israel, because you were bigger, smarter, more powerful, better looking, you know, cooler. God says, I loved you because I loved you. And I I think in my life, I think in the business world, I had a mixture of some self-esteem that probably wasn't right. It was probably arrogance, but also some mixture of the fact that I just knew God loved me. I think as I get older, I'm growing much more in the belovedhood 
if you will, of God, the, the Christ esteem, the God esteem, where, I mean, think about it, Gary, if you could have a choice of being the smartest person in the room, which you probably are, since you're alone. Um, <laughs> no, I'm with you. Yeah. So do you want to be the smartest person in your circle? Or do you want to have, know with absolute assurance that the God of all creation loves you? Right. No doubt the second. No doubt. Yeah. And that's why the first is just a counterfeit. I mean, yeah. it's it's great to feel confident about yourself. But, you know, let's say I'm smart. I could easily have a brain hemorrhage or something and lose all my brains. And what, what do I have left? I could be the greatest football player, but then I get old. What do I have left? You know, any of those things that we have our self-esteem in can just be lost in a heartbeat in a car accident. But, you know, Romans 8 continues to go out of its way to say, but you cannot lose God's love. You know, and if and if we have that firm and certain, sure certainty of God's love for us, I think we have all the confidence in the world. I think self-esteem is a counterfeit for God esteem. Yeah. Yeah. And as I and as I hear you, I do think, you know, there is something to a person who does have a confidence, a steadiness you know, the ability to lead when he or she needs to lead, um, a maturity, you know. Now, we also quite often talk about, you know, being bold, but being bold with humility and being generous and, and you know, not relying on the reactions of others to our well-being. So there is something powerful about a, a confidence that somebody has, but it's like you said, it's where is that confidence? Because, We've known people who had a great confidence until you pull them out of that controlled environment, and then you realize what a wreck they really are. You know, it just the, the facade all falls down at that point because it's so contingent and conditional. And yet, we've Remember. also talked through the years about people who have this really solid relationship with God, and and there is a steadiness and a belief. And, and a, a lack, there, there's no fear of man in them. There's just a love of God and they're remarkable people. Yeah. And again, it, it be, it, the answer needs a dependence on God. If, if, if our confidence comes from God's love, his care, his protection, his provision, his sovereignty, th there's no stopping us. But if our confidence comes from something inside us, we can lose it. I, I, was, I was doing a sermon um, years ago at a church and, you know, sometimes beforehand, you'll get a little group of people who will pray over the pastor, or maybe the worship team and the pastor get together. And I was going to preach. So this lady starts praying. She says, oh, God, bless Sam. He's worked hours on this sermon. He's so gifted. Bless him. And I'm thinking, I really didn't spend much time on this sermon. And I don't feel very gifted in this moment. And I, I said, you know, I remember thinking, I know she's trying to build my confidence, but I did not put as much time into that sermon prep as I normally do. And if my confidence was built on sermon prep, I had no confidence. And I remember just praying, oh, God, let you speak, even though I'm even though I've blown it. And, and I felt so much more hope that God would do something because it depended on him than that God would do something because it depended on me. So, Sam, we're, we're at the end of our time, but let me just ask you now to summarize what you would say to me, to us listening, is we have to remember, we have to pursue 
this particular biblical answer to, I guess, esteem, right? To, to a steadiness, a strength that we can offer to others. Just how summarize that for us now, biblically. So I think the idea is where do we get our confidence? Confidence does make a difference in this world. We're all looking for a certain kind of confidence. And for me, I would say the biblical answer is always in the confidence of God working in us. God, you know, we're made in the image of God. God says, I will be with you. God says, you will not lose my love. God says, I will make my home inside you. I think that, you know, honestly, it sounds been repeated so many times. I just read today in Oswald Chambers, he was talking about the cross. And I felt like the cross to me was in this moment when I was reading this, I don't remember what his words were, but the but the what struck me was that the cross meant my sin was worse than I admitted to myself. You know, I mean, the truth is I don't walk around thinking I deserve to die because of what I've done, right? Right. So that's almost like another sin of mine is, is my insensitivity to my own sin. But the cross more than that says God was so committed to loving me that he would pay for even my inability to understand my own sin. I mean, he was, he was telling me, I love you even in ways that I don't even know I need God's love. And I felt like I just meditated on that some today. And I had a confidence to go into the world, you know, where God was showing me love, even when I wasn't ready to see it. God is just pouring out revelation of his love. And you know what? I had some meetings today. I was confident. I wasn't confident that I had the right answer because in some of those meetings, I didn't have any answer. But I had a confidence that God says, I'm with you and I'm going to make all things good. I'm going to make all things work out for the good. And I had a confidence. So I would say, if you're looking for confidence, recognizing yourself when, when you're, you're saying, I just need to know that I'm good. I need to know I'm smart. I need to know that I have the right answer and say, God, help me just know your love. Help me just feel a strong heart conviction of your love. And I think that'll give a greater confidence. It cannot be taken. Yeah, that's really good. Well, thank you. So this is just beginning this series and uh, we are really looking forward to this. Thank you everyone that joined us on this. And again, stick with us. We, we will keep going through all these false answers that the world keeps giving to us that maybe we're unaware of, of how much we have adopted, adapted to. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. Please join us by following this podcast or liking it. And visit our websites, thenobleheart.com and beliefsoftheheart.com for more resources in living the eternal life with God today. You'll find articles, videos, and online classes. See you next week.